Stay tuned now for Edward R. Murrow with the news, presented by Hams. H A M S. Hams. Yes, Hams, America's most refreshing beer, brings you America's favorite newscaster, Edward R. Murrow. Looks refreshing, tastes refreshing, is refreshing. Hams, America's most refreshing beer, from the land of the sky blue waters. Have a Hams when you want real refreshment. Ask for Hams wherever fine beer is sold. It's America's most refreshing beer. Hams. And now, Edward R. Murrow. This is the news. United Nations troops in Central Korea have run up against their stiffest opposition in many days. There are increasing signs that the communists intend to make a stand northeast of Hongchan, which is 55 miles east of Seoul. General MacArthur's headquarters is not permitting correspondents to make any mention of how close our troops are to the 38th parallel. At last report, we were less than 17 miles from this border at 10 different points. Here in New York today, former Mayor O'Dwyer, now our ambassador to Mexico, completed two days of testimony before Senate crime investigators. Among other things, Mr. O'Dwyer said, local governments need federal help to wipe out crime. He favors a federal appropriation of 25 to $50 million to do the job. He feels big-scale bookmaking cannot exist without the cooperation of local police. Mr. O'Dwyer told the committee, Frank Costello is a sinister influence in this city's politics, has been for years. Under questioning, Mr. O'Dwyer acknowledged that as mayor, he had appointed to office or supported more than a half dozen candidates connected with Costello, Joe Adonis, or Willie Moretti. The ambassador said he personally met Adonis many years ago, where he cannot remember. Costello himself returned to the witness chair, again refused to tell the senators his net worth. Upon examination, he acknowledged some degree of friendship with 14 of the 42 district leaders in Tammany Hall. That's the Democratic Organization on Manhattan Island. The government tonight released a secret list of 126 underworld figures all being examined in connection with income tax returns. Costello, Erickson, Adonis, and Mickey Cohen are among those on the list. In Washington, Chairman Hardy of the House Executive Expenditures Subcommittee says that three officials of the National Production Authority approved a $7,800,000 loan despite objections by the Reconstruction Finance Corporation. Congressman Hardy says three men with but $600 received this large loan for a steel company in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. The committee will investigate. And the senators investigating the RFC say they have testimony from Mrs. Florence Smoot, a secretary to RFC director Walter L. Dunham, confirming his story that another director, C. Edward Rowe, tried to hurry Dunham's resignation and make him the goat for RFC difficulties. Director Rowe denies Mrs. Smoot's testimony. Senator Taft told his colleagues today that we may be asked to send 15 divisions to Western Europe before 1952. The senator says he has this information on what he calls very high authority. He figures that eventually General Eisenhower will have 60 divisions under his command. The senator hears that we are going to contribute one division for every three formed by the Europeans. Taft says he'll vote for the Troops to Europe resolution, but he's disappointed in it will offer some amendments. General Eisenhower today announced some appointments to his top command. 
Field Marshal Viscount Montgomery will be Ike's deputy commander of the Atlantic Pact Army. His air deputy will be British Air Chief Marshal Sir Hugh Saunders. And French General Juan will command ground forces in the vital central defense area. No appointment has been made at this time for the job of Atlantic Naval Chief. At the meeting of the deputy foreign ministers, the Russians came up with an offer today, and we've turned it down. I'd like to discuss the Paris meeting in a few minutes. In Tehran, the Iranian Senate today unanimously approved the same bill to nationalize the oil industry that has been approved by the lower house. It must now be signed by the Shah, who today declared martial law in his country to try to prevent the assassination of any more high officials of his government. At Lake Success, the United Nations General Assembly has voted to meet in Paris next fall. It went through by the narrow margin of seven votes. The Atomic Energy Commission disclosed today that it is now getting ready for a major project, testing of atomic materials at Aniwitak in the Pacific. The plan is to test the effect of atomic materials on structures and materials of various kinds. Economic stabilizer Eric Johnston flew down to Key West today, spent 35 minutes with the president, and then took a plane back to Washington. White House Secretary Joseph Short says Mr. Johnston will redouble his efforts to find a formula to bring labor back into the mobilization program. Local union leaders of the AFL, CIO, and Railroad Brotherhoods met in Washington today and heard their national leaders explain objections to the defense program. AFL President Green called for a fight against defense mobilizer Wilson and against Congress to get a more equitable and more democratic defense program. Price Administrator DeSalle said today that controls are beginning to halt the rise in the cost of living. He had not expected any such halt until the summer, but now feels justified in moving up his prediction. Moscow today complained to the State Department that we are holding up 13 former German ships which the Russians feel they should get. Moscow has been under American pressure for not returning 672 American Lend-Lease ships. Today in Paris, at the meeting of the Big Four Deputy Foreign Ministers, the Russians came up with a new proposal, a demand for the reduction of the armed forces of the Big Four to be carried out under international supervision. It's that last phrase about international supervision that is new. Many times the Russians have suggested a reduction of armaments, but they have never before been willing to agree to international supervision. The Western powers, that is the United States, Britain, and France, rejected the proposal on the grounds that it made no reference to the satellite armies in Eastern Europe and because it said nothing about the existing level of armaments in the East and West. Apparently, the Western powers concluded that since the Russians are now in a position to overwhelm Europe, any across-the-board reduction would still leave them with their present relative advantage. However, the Russians, by this move, have undoubtedly scored another substantial victory in the field of psychological warfare, for they will now proclaim throughout Europe and Asia that they proposed a reduction in the armed forces of the Big Four, that they finally agreed to international supervision, which the West has been insisting upon for years, and still the Western powers turned it down. The deputy foreign ministers have now spent two weeks in Paris trying to agree on a list of subjects their chiefs can sit down and argue about. The net result, so far, is that the Russians have achieved a considerable propaganda victory with their proposal of today. Yesterday, Togliatti, the Italian communist leader, 
indicated that he would ease his pressure on the government if Italy would agree to get out of the North Atlantic Pact. During recent weeks, we have had a steady stream of stories from Western Europe indicating splits within the communist parties in Italy, West Germany, Norway, and France. These stories have been true, but it is my personal opinion that they have been widely misinterpreted. The disaffections have weakened the official communist parties, but not necessarily communism. It has been estimated that the official communist parties in Western Europe may have lost as much as one-third of their total membership because West European communism has been exposed as an instrument of Russian foreign policy. But the people who have left the party are no less communist than they were. Indeed, many of them insist that they are better communists than the men in the Kremlin. These French and Italian communists are now rid of the stigma which has been attached to communism as an adjunct of Soviet policy. They can pose now as patriots and communists at the same time. In a sense, their respectability has been restored in the eyes of their left-wing, non-communist fellow countrymen. They remain dedicated to the class struggle. Their realliance with the left-wing socialists becomes a real possibility. And they can now agitate for what they will label a national, patriotic, and loyal communist participation in their national governments. It is necessary always to remember that few, if any, of these people who have broken with the communist parties in Italy, France, and elsewhere have forsworn communism. They have merely said that they want to employ a different method in reaching a common objective. Basically, their purpose remains the same as that of the Soviet communists the internal weakening of the democratic West in Europe. It is, of course, relatively easy for an Italian or French government to deny representation to a communist party which is the open and avowed instrument of Moscow. It is more difficult to deny a share in government to communists who loudly assert that they are patriotic, loyal nationalists. Perhaps the most significant thing about these disaffections in the communist parties of Western Europe is that they have produced in those countries nothing like the jubilation or confidence that has been expressed in many quarters in this country. That is undoubtedly because the democratic officials in countries like Italy, France, and the rest of Western Europe, officials who have been fighting communism at close range since the end of the war, recognize that the final objectives of those who have broken with the party and those who remain with it are exactly the same and remain unchanged. They have differed, for the time being, in the method of achieving their objective. The dispute is clearly about tactics rather than ultimate goals. It seems to me that if we are to avoid undue optimism as a result of this Communist Party friction, we should always remember that while it may have weakened somewhat the strength of the official Communist Party, it has not substantially reduced the sum total of the force, either potential or actual, of communism in Western Europe. Every report from Europe indicates that those who have defected have not suddenly become Democrats. They have merely fallen out with their comrades about the best method of encompassing our defeat. This is Ed Morrow. I'll be back in a moment with the word for today.
Many of you would like to help combat heart disease, we know. We think you'd also welcome the chance to do something for our men in the armed forces. So tonight, as a public service, the Ham Brewing Company offers a plan for helping both these causes. Here's all you do. Mail $1 to Heart, Box O, St. Paul, Minnesota. Part of your dollar goes into the 1951 Heart Fund to finance much-needed research. The rest pays for sending to the armed forces the most wanted gift among servicemen, a beautiful new deck of playing cards. Now, if you wish, you may designate the serviceman or unit to receive your cards. A message enclosed with the cards will explain that they're a gift from you, made possible through the cooperation of the Ham Brewing Company. Otherwise, the cards will be sent where most needed. The Ham's people are happy to sponsor this project as a contribution to the 1951 Heart Fund. Act now. Send your good deed dollar to Heart. H-E-A-R-T. Heart. Box O. St. Paul, Minnesota. And now, Ed, what's the word for today? Many of the exchanges between great nations these days remind us of something that was said by Thomas Paine. Governments accuse the other of perfidy, intrigue, and ambition as a means of heating the imagination of respective nations and incensing them to hostilities. And those who doubt that the Russians scored a propaganda victory in Paris today should remember what Hitler's propaganda minister Goebbels said. There is no need for propaganda to be rich in intellectual content. Good night and good luck. Edward R. Murrow and the News is brought to you by Ham's, America's most refreshing beer. Brewed by the Ham Brewing Company of St. Paul, Minnesota. Looks refreshing, tastes refreshing, is refreshing. Ham's, brewed in the land of the sky blue waters. For real refreshment, have a Ham's. America's most refreshing beer, Ham's. Listen tomorrow, tomorrow. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.